the Lord. Job chapter 19 and verse number 23. Oh, that my words were now written. Oh, that they were printed in a book. That they were graven with an iron pen and led in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself and mine eyes shall behold and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. Reading also from chapter 31, verse number 35. Oh, that one would hear me. Behold, my desire is that the Almighty would answer me and that mine adversary had written a book. Surely I would take it upon my shoulder and bind it as a crown to me. I would declare unto him the number of my steps as a prince would I go near unto him? Put your Bible down. We're going to pray. My subject tonight is, I wish the devil would write a book. I wish the devil would write a book. Let's ask the Lord to help us in this last camp meeting right now. In Jesus' name, would you come in this house tonight? If there's any self-righteousness, if there's any sanctimonious folk, would you help them, God, to get over their issues? And would you help us all to begin to pull together in the prime time of life? Lord God, delivering people. Hallelujah. 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 Praise the Lord. 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 Hallelujah. Thank you so much. You may be seated. We all are aware of the fact that the devil is a fallen angel. In fact, he is only one of four angels that are named in the Bible. The Bible names Michael. The Bible names Gabriel. The Bible names Lucifer and an angel in the book of Revelation, Abaddon. He, Lucifer is an archangel with incredible supernatural powers. I want to tell you tonight, if you don't already know this, that Satan absolutely hates you. He hates everything about you. The reason he hates you, or at least one of the reasons is, he is fallible and unredeemable, meaning that he had the potential to sin and make a mistake and when he so did, he was not redeemable. He hates it because you are also fallible. You have the tendency and capability to sin, but you are redeemable. It makes him so angry that he made one mistake. He committed one egregious, terrible sin and has been forever banned from heaven and designated for hell. And you're sitting in the glory of God tonight. You've made a gazillion mistakes. You have done all kinds of things wrong and yet you're washed in the blood and on your way to heaven tonight and it burns him up. He hates it. He hates you. And more than that, he hates the fact that we have an infallible Redeemer. He hates the fact that our Redeemer never did sin, never could sin, never can sin, and never has sin. And he is our Redeemer tonight. And he came and found you. And he brought you here tonight. And you're here not because you're smart, not because you were good, but because he walked down through 42 generations of time, put on the robe of a man, and came to where you are and saved your soul. He deserves praise tonight. He deserves honor tonight. He deserves glory tonight. You may be seated. This, this being called Satan or Lucifer, his created essence, I believe, in my studies is threefold. Number one, his essence when he was created is beauty. I believe that if you saw him tonight, he is not going to be the ugly smoke 
laden, red-faced or red caricature person that, that he is depicted by some people in, in comics and, and that kind of thing. I believe if you saw him in his truest form tonight, he would be the most incredible, beautiful, perfect being that you have ever seen. I have never seen him, don't want to see him, but I do know a pastor's wife that claims that she saw him. She claims that their church was large and the balcony was not being used. And on a particular Sunday night, she was playing the music and her eyes lifted and she saw a man form standing in the balcony of that church. And her description was, he was unbelievable. He was magnetic. Your attention was drawn to him. He was riveting. When you saw him, it was difficult to pull your eyes away. It was like she had never seen such a perfect person in her life. She sat there mesmerized watching. And as she watched, this is her testimony, he faded from sight. And she says, the Lord spoke to her and said, that's him. That's Satan, your adversary. I'm here to tell you that he was beautiful and he was perfect in all his ways. He was created as a beautiful individual. Secondly, I believe that part of his created essence is brightness. He was created, if you read the Bible, with stones in his making. Those stones were created for a single reason, and that is because God dwells in a light that no man can approach unto, according to Timothy, what Paul told him. We know that God is light itself, personified. First John, God is light. We know that when a man gets in the presence of God he is so changed by the inundation and the uh, radiation of that light. Moses got in his presence and the Bible says his face glowed when he came out of the presence of the Lord and God said you got to get, all you can see is behind the there is such a power about the light of God. No one could stand in his presence and so one of the essence of, uh, of Lucifer's creation was that the lights that were in him were designed to refract the glory of God so that men and women like you and I could approach unto God and be in his presence when Satan fell and lost his position God then transferred that to the ministry and that's why you read in the Old Testament about the the, the, the uh, clothing that they wore and the stones on the front because God said I cannot be approached directly that's why it was so beautiful when God himself took on the nature of a man and God himself came to this earth and when he was crucified the veil was rent in twain and for the first time in the history of man we can enter into to the presence of God. But the essence of Satan was beauty. The essence of Satan was brightness. The third characteristic that I read in the Bible of Satan was music. He was created with music. Here are tabrets and pipes in his created being. I can't explain it all. I don't even understand it all. I only know what the Bible says. But the Bible lets me to know that he was beautiful. That his designated area of working was brightness to factor the light and music and all of those. All of those things because he is a fallen angel are very dangerous in church today. When a person decides that beauty is more important than character. When a person decides that I'd rather look good than shout and talk in tongues, there is a danger to your spiritual existence. Thank you for dressing up. Thank you for combing your hair. Thank you for all the coffee work that you do. But whatever you do, don't forget that when I put beauty above worship, then I'm following in the track of Lucifer himself. There's a time to kick your shoe off. There's a time to lay your purse down. There's a time to say, wait a minute. I don't care how good I look when I go to the restaurant after church. Right now, it's time to worship God. It's time to praise God. That's what God loves. There, you may be seated. There is a danger when we use his false beauty and his false pride. There's a danger in trying to steal God's glory. No glory, no flesh shall glory in his presence. No. There's a danger in using music that incites feelings in people that are not godly. There's a danger in any one of these three areas of the essence of who he is. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5 and 8, that Satan is the adversary of God and man. The Bible tells us in Matthew 12 and 24 that he is the prince of devils. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 2 and 2 he is the prince of the power of the air. The Bible tells us in John 14 and 30 he is the prince of this world. The Bible tells us in 1 John 3 and 8 he is a sinner 
from the beginning. The Bible says in Luke 10 and 18 that he was cast out of heaven. And in 2 Peter 2, 4 and Jude 6, he was cast down to hell. His character is presumptuous according to Job 1 and 6. He is proud according to 1 Timothy 3 and 6. He is powerful according to Ephesians 2 and 2. He is wicked according to 1 John 2 13. He is malignant according to Job 2 and 4. He is subtle according to 2 Corinthians 11 and 3. He is deceitful according to Ephesians 6 and 11. He is fierce and cruel according to Luke 8 29 and 9 39. As the prince of this world he perverts the scripture according to Matthew 4 and 6. He opposes the work of God according to Zechariah chapter 3 and verse number 1. He hinders the gospel according to Matthew 13 and 19. He works lying wonders according to 2 Thessalonians 2 and 9. He appears to be an angel of light according to 2 Corinthians 11 and 1. He is the father of all lies according to John chapter 8 and verse number 44. I'm here to tell you he is not a pushover. I'm here to tell you he is a formidable foe. He is an adversary tonight worthy of any combatants. His little anthem is everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing it. Every apostolic church is doing it. Everybody's doing it. Well, let me just tell you something, Mr. Devil. Everybody isn't doing it. Everybody's not getting tattoos. Everybody's not dyeing their hair pink and green. Everybody's not poking holes all over their body and putting short. No, everybody's not doing it. Everybody's not giving up holiness. Everybody's not throwing in the towel. He is our adversary tonight. But I've got good gospel news for you. We not only have an adversary, but we have a God that's on our side. By contrast, God is mighty. According to Job 36 and 5. He is great. According to Job 36 and 26. He is holy. According to Psalm 99 and 9. He is merciful. According to Psalm 116 verse 5. He is a spirit. According to John 4 and 24. He is faithful. According to 1 Corinthians 1 and 9. We have an adversary. But we have a God. Hallelujah. Let's praise him for a moment. Why don't we just say thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your power, your omniscience, your omnipotent ways. Thank you. You may be seated. I'm not trying to be complimentary, but I'm going to tell you, I don't know when I preached anywhere that I thought the people were kinder and more responsive than you are right now. Thank you. And the 104th Psalm. The writer picked up his pen and began to write about this God that we love and serve. And he said, oh, Lord, my God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty. He covers himself with light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a curtain. He makes the clouds his chariot and he walks on the wings of the wind. He laid the foundation of the earth. He covered the earth and the deep as a garment. He looks on the earth and it trembles. He touches the hills and they begin to smoke. The writer of Psalm 95 picks it up and said in his hand are the deep places of the earth and the strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his is he made it his hands formed the dry ground he measured the water in the hollow of his head and Isaiah said in chapter number 40 he meted out the heavens with a span he comprehends the dust of the earth in a measure he weighs the mountains in a scale and the hills in a balance hey I'll ask you tonight what they ask who hath been his counselor who hath taught him who instructed him or taught him judgment who taught him knowledge or showed him understanding? Before him all nations are as a drop in a bucket. They are counted as the small dust of the balance. All nations are before him as nothing. And it is he that sitteth on the circle of the... Next time you think the devil is so powerful, why don't you remember who our Redeemer is? Isaiah went on to say the inhabitants of this earth are like grasshoppers before him. He stretches out the heaven like a curtain and he spreads them out like a tent 
to dwell in. He brings princes to nothing. He makes judges of the earth as vanity. In Psalm 147, the writer said, He created the host of heaven. He tells the number of stars and calleth them by name. I don't have time to go into all the astronomy tonight, but let me just tell you that there are over 100 million galaxies out there. There are billions and billions of stars and science says we know but one one billionth of space and yet my Bible says he knows every single star and he calls them by their name. But that great God that can do that great feat, the very next statement written by the psalmist said this, but he he heals the broken in heart and he binds up their wounds. He lifts up the meek and he casts the wicked down to the ground. He covers the heaven with clouds. He prepares the rain for the earth. He makes grass to grow on the mountains. Job said only he knows where the foundation of the earth is fastened. And only he knows where the cornerstone is. And he was there when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. He shuts up the doors of the sea. He makes the cloud a garment. He makes the thick darkness a swaddling band. He stays the proud waves of the mighty ocean. He commands the morning and causes the day spring to come forth. He opens the gates of death. He knows where light dwells. He knows the place of darkness. In his hand, according to First Chronicles 29 and 12, are power and might. According to Isaiah Isaiah 63 and 1, he travels in the greatness of his own strength and speaks in righteousness and is mighty to save. According to Luke, he commands the wind and the water and they do exactly what he says. In John 17, it tells me that he has power over all flesh and he is the giver of eternal life. You want to talk about an adversary? Go ahead. I'd rather talk about my Redeemer tonight and let you know that my Redeemer is all-powerful. You may be seated. I'm fixing to move on to my text in just a moment, but, but I'm just telling you about the two people I'm talking about tonight. He is the healer of all the oppressed, Acts 10, 38. First Chronicles 29 and 12, he gives riches and honor and power and might. Second Chronicles 25 and 8, he has power to help and power to cast down. Job 26 and 12, he divides the sea with his power. Psalm 65 and 6, by his strength he setteth fast the mountains. Psalm 33 and 7, he gathers the water of the sea together in a heap. In Psalm 89 and 9, he rules the raging of the sea. In Psalm 107 and 29, he makes the storm calm. In Proverbs 30 and 4, he gathers the wind in his fist. He binds the water in a garment and establishes all the ends of the earth. In Daniel 3:17, he is able to deliver in Luke 3 and 8, he is able to raise up children from stones. In Romans 9 and 21, he is able to fulfill promises. In 2 Corinthians 9 and 8, he is able to make grace abound. In Philippians 3.21, he is able to subdue all things. In 2 Timothy 1 and 12, he is able to guard the soul's treasure. In uh, Hebrews 7 and 25, he is able to save to the uttermost. In Jude 24, he is able to keep from falling. And in Ephesians 3 and 20, he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. You look it over and decide which one you think has the edge in any kind of battle in your life. He's God. He can do anything he wants to. He created Lucifer. Why don't you give him a praise? Thank you, God, for saving me. Don't ever let me forget how powerful and magnificent you are, oh God. You may be seated. Thank you so much. The true essence of God, according to the Bible, what I can find are two things. He is light and he is love. Both of them written by First John. John was Jesus' earthly cousin. Their mothers were sisters. He was the last apostle. He wrote many years after. I won't go into all the things that were going on that caused him to write another gospel, the Gospel of John, which is a magnificent book. First John, Second John, Third John, the book of Revelation. But John knew Jesus as no 
No earthly man had ever known him. And John said he is light, 1 John 1, 5, and he is love, 1 John 4 and 8. That's why in the book of Revelation it says there's no need of the sun, for he is the light thereof, because he is light. That's why Moses couldn't look at him and live. And when he walked away, people were afraid of him and said, put something over your face, you're scaring us. Hallelujah. Satan's created purpose was to refract that light and to make God approachable. And when he fell from his coveted, esteemed position, God transferred that to the ministry. And now he transfers that on even to the church. To my text tonight that I read to you, Job is an amazing man. In fact, he is from the same country as Abraham was. As God so often chooses to do, he calls one man out and leaves the other there. He calls Abraham out to go to the promised land and leaves Job there as a testimony of the land of us. Job was one of those people that I admire because the worse it got around him, the better he got. Can I say that again? I like it when I get around people that the worse it gets, the better they get. I like that. The Bible lets us to know that he had ten children and he was still exceedingly generous. You can read that in Job 31 and 17. The Bible says that he was perfect in the very first chapter and he says he wasn't in chapter 9 and verse number 20. I don't think he was arguing with God. He was just a humble person. They always say, when you think you're humble, you just lost it. When you think you're humble, you just lost it. And so I tell some of you right now, like, I don't think that's... Read it for yourself. Do you think I'm stupid enough to get up in front of several hundred people and make a dumb mistake like that? Hello? Same word. God said he's perfect. Job said, I am not perfect. Hallelujah. I like it when God looks on somebody and smiles and shows favor, but they've got a humility about them that says, I still got a long way to go. Hallelujah. There's some admirable things about Brother Job. And it was this man, after he took the hit, after he took the horrible intrusion into his life. You see, this whole book was not about understanding what's going on in Job's life. Job never did understand. If I read it correctly, when the book ends and it's over, he still doesn't know why the things happened to him that happened to him. This is written for our admonition. This is written for our understanding upon whom the ends of the world are come. You can spend a large percent of your life going around in circles, going on the phone, calling people, pestering the pastor, all about what's going on in my life. Why is this happening to me? I don't understand. Or you can just make up your mind that I am a child of God and I may not understand it all but he does. And my job isn't to understand. My job is to obey. My job is to be faithful. My job is to say yes Lord whatever you have for my life that's what I'll do. Job took the hit and one day he went from being a wealthy man one of the most esteemed men of the east according to the Bible to a man that had absolutely nothing. He lost 7,000 sheep 3,000 camels 500 yoke of oxen 500 yoke of she asses and a great household and all of his children. You know the story what happened. And when he lost it all, his attitude was, naked I came and naked I leave. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now I'm going to tell you, that brings up an admiration in us and we look at that and say, God bless you, Brother Joe. But I'm here to tell you, there aren't many of us that could stand in that circle. I'm not sure that I could. I don't know. I hope I never have to find out. I hope I never have to stand absolutely stripped of everything I have in life except my faith in God to find out. And Job didn't know that it wasn't anything about sheep and camels and donkeys and oxen and kids. It was about Satan learning that there is one man in this world that loves me not for what I give him but for who I am I want you to understand Satan he's not serving me because of those sheep he's not he's serving me because he loves me 
Oh God, let there be some people in 2010 that say, God, I'm not serving you for the blessing and the benefit. I'm serving you because I love you more than anything in this world. God used Job to show the world there was one man who would serve God just because he loved God, not because of what he got. I'm here to tell you tonight that when Job was in the heat, when he was in the fire, when his friends misunderstood him, he said, I'll tell you what I wish. I wish, Brother Samson, would you help me? There's a burlap bag right behind you there. Would you grab that and bring that over here? Job said, I'll tell you what I wish. I wish my adversary was here. And I wish he'd write a book. Help me out here. Get that. Get, get one of them rocks out of there, would you? I went rock hunting today. There's a couple. Get that. There was a couple of Mexican guys working beside the road, and I was over there looking at the rocks. Brother Ballester was with me. I said, don't worry about me. I'm just looking for a rock. So I said, you speak Spanish? I said, ¿se habla español? I said, yeah. I said, yo quiero un piedra. Yo predicar en una iglesia en esta noche. And I begin to tell them I'm going to preach in a church tonight. And, and I, I need a rock. They're like, oh, okay, go, go. This rock. So I got this rock. Job said... Job said, I wish I could find my adversary. I'll tell you what I wish he'd do. I wish he'd write a book. And I wish he'd take an iron pen. And I wish he would etch it in stone forever. I wish he'd take that chisel and begin to write what I did. Write and write and write. And this is what he would write. When you took my children, all I did was praise the Lord. When you took my sheep and you took my camels when you took everything I had in life that was worth anything at all I didn't gripe I didn't complain I didn't snivel and whine I said blessed be the name of the Lord I wish my adversary would write a book I'd put it on my shoulder and I'd get near him I'd wear it like a crown on my head and say what did I do devil what did I do when you oh I wish the devil would write a book hallelujah you see, he gets down on you. He tells you how unworthy you are, how no good you are. Let me tell you what happened. You came back to church tonight. Every one of you have had a hit. Every one of you have had a bad day. Every one of you have had sickness and trouble and heartache. And you put your church clothes on. And you came in tonight. And you started praising the Lord. I'm telling you, the devil hates it. He wants you to feel sorry for yourself. Be seated. He said, oh, I wish my adversary would write a book. I wish he'd write it down that every time something bad happened to me, my response was. I wish he would write it down. I don't know if I ought to tell him what you told me at lunch today or not, Reverend. Are you tough enough to take it? He was teasing with me a little bit. He knows I don't have a wife. And so he said, you know the difference between a wife and a battery? I said, tell me. He said, a battery's got a positive side to it. <laughs> he was picking at me and I'm picking at him. Men do that when they get away from their wives. Then when they see me, it's like, oh, baby, how you doing? I love you, sister, baby. Joe wasn't quite so fortunate. He had one of them battery wives that didn't have no positive side to her. She said, why are you trusting in God? Look what you got out of the deal. You lost all seven sons are dead. Look at them ten grave markers out there. Seven sons are dead. Three daughters are dead. Look, you ain't got money to do nothing. You're broke. Look at you. You are full of sores. There is pus oozing out of your body. Look at your friends. They are sitting here telling you what an idiot you are, what a sinner you are, what a reprobate. Look at it, Joe. He said, you speak like a foolish woman. He ain't never done me nothing but good. I'm here to tell you. Write that one down too, devil. That I didn't even let my family turn me away from God. Write it down, devil. I'll put it on my shoulder. I'll walk around like a crown on my head. I 
I'm telling you, somebody needs to get the victory tonight and quit feeling sorry for yourself and what life has dealt you and what's happened to you and make up your mind, I'm going to dance on the devil's head. That's what I'm fixing to do. He's going to be under my feet. When I leave this camp, I'm going to shout on his head. I went to the enemy's camp and I took back what he stole from me. He's under my feet. He's under my feet. Go ahead and praise him for a moment. It feels good in the house to give the great God of heaven that walks on the wings of the wind, that makes the clouds his chariot, a little praise, a little honor, a little glory. Be seated for just a moment. Now, you don't know me that well. I haven't preached here that much. I have been preaching a long time. I think I was born the year after Melchizedek or something like that. Feels like it sometimes. 35 years I've been preaching. And if you could track me back down through 35 years and you knew me well, I think you would know that I don't tell a lot of personal stuff. It's not my ministry to jerk tears. It's not my ministry to get people to feel sorry for me. But I'm going to talk about a couple of things that happened to me tonight. Just to let you know that it happens to everybody. You see the guy in the suit. You see the picture on the deal. You see the brochure in the mail. And you think he's got it made. He's got this nice little church in Washington. He gets to travel around the country and preach these meetings. And, oh, he's got it. Oh, you know, he don't understand what it's like to be where I am. Let me just tell you something. I'm not asking for sympathy tonight. I'm only going to preach this to try to reach every corner of humanity tonight. To let you know that whatever your name is, whatever your address is, it happens to everybody. Everybody has bad times. It's what you do with those bad times that spells the difference. And if I can turn one person tonight to the direction that says, I want my enemy to write a book, that when all hell broke loose in my life, when the bottom fell out, when my world collapsed, I was praising the Lord. I was giving God the glory. Maybe seated. I wasn't raised in an all-American home. You can't tell that because I've got a suit and a tie on tonight. You can't know what kind of background I had because you don't know me. My mother and father divorced when I was three years old. My mother went on to marry five more times by the time she was 42 years old. And when she was 42 years old, her sixth husband murdered her. I was working for UAPS, United Parcel Service, and they were a great company to work for. I was in my local church. Brother Terry was my pastor. I was helping in the church there, and they gave us the option to use our break time anytime, any way we wanted. They gave us 90 minutes a day. You could do three 30-minute breaks, an hour for lunch, two 15-minute breaks, two 45-minute breaks, whatever. And so a lot of us drivers would get our load off and then stop by the coffee shop and just relax before we went in to turn our truck in. And it was July the 10th, 1975, a hot day in the Central Valley, Bakersfield, California. And I sat down there and ordered a glass of water and was drinking it. And the waitress came up. She knew all of us by name, little cafe there by the place where UPS trucks stopped. And she came up and she said, Ken, you got a phone call. And I, I remember, you know, some things, some days never die. Some days you can, your mind goes there and... You remember like it was yesterday. Even though it's been years and years now. 35, 36 years ago, I can still remember what it was like sitting in that coffee shop and walking up and, and the, the slow motion in my mind of what's wrong, this has never happened, and reaching for that telephone and picking it up and hearing my boss say, bring your truck in right now. There's been a horrible accident. We need you to come right now. And of course, I said, is it my wife? Is it my daughter? What is it? And he said, well, there's been an accident at the mouth of the canyon. Your mother can't be located. Jumped in the truck, went in, 
And thus began a long saga that lasted about a year of my life. The man that she was married to was a brute. He was a terrible, terrible man. My mother, bless her heart, loved us, and she tried to be a good mom. She just had bad choices in the men that she chose. I was raised in homes of alcohol and abuse and, and, and all kinds of immorality and guns and drugs. And, and, and so, you know, there's more behind the suit than just a, a nice little Sunday school upbringing. Thank God for every young person raised in church. I raised my daughter in church because I didn't want her to have to live the life that I lived. But I, I, I'm telling you, I, I, I thought, oh, God, what's going to be? And I took my truck in, and sure enough, he had grabbed my mother at, at, by the Kern River there in Bakersfield. It's the seventh most deadly river in the nation. And he had thrown her in that raging river doing about 120 miles an hour. And those rocks as big as houses, and it just slammed her. The coroner said she died within seconds. It was like taking a person and throwing them up against a rock at 120 miles an hour. We couldn't find her. It took three days to find her. I can remember right now, just like it was yesterday, where I was when that Sheriff's deputy's radio crackled and said, we found her. I remember walking down the bank and unzipping the rubber bag that they had my mother in. She had drowned and, and the horrible three days that she had been down before her body surfaced. And so I, I want you to understand that my life hasn't been picture perfect. I'm not saying that to get your sympathy. I'm simply telling you that I've had heartache and you've had heartache. We can't sit back and say, well, God must not love me. I wasn't raised in church. and People don't understand my, my way. Let me just tell you something. All of your upbringing is not an excuse to act stupid. Well, I didn't have a dad. Well, I didn't have a mom. Well, I, no, but you got God. I found me a verse in Psalm 27 and 10 that said when my father and my mother forsake me then the Lord will take me up I made up my mind I'm going to let the Lord be the guide in my life quit falling back on those excuses quit acting like a fool saying it's because I had a bad upbringing well, I'm in a sit down. I, I'm in a rare mood, Elder. I hope I don't say something that's offensive. But for all of you to say, "Well, you're a redneck preacher and you don't understand so sociology and psychology," let me, let me just tell you, I have a degree in whether or not psychology or the Bible is right. You want to argue about it? I'll talk to you after church. I'll talk as long as you want to talk. If you want to talk to me about how people act and what they do, I'll tell you that for 2,000 years, the Bible emancipated people who were broken and under all kinds of addictions for 2,000 years. And in the last 100 years, psychology has got its hand on the throat of America and made us think that they have all the answers. They don't have the answer. The answer is still at that altar. It's still in the Holy Ghost. It's still in God delivering a life quit blaming yourself on your upbringing boy I feel something right now sit down that man's daddy one of the greatest men we've ever known God found him out of prison that's where he found him he didn't have a bunch of issues I'm telling you we're living in a world that wants to blame everybody for everything You know what I did? When my mother died, I went to church. That's what I did. And I didn't sit around feeling sorry for myself, saying, well, how come nobody else's mother got murdered? How come I have to deal with this? I was the executor of the state. The man tried to kill me, tried to kill my brothers. He was a maniac. He finally got locked up and died in prison. I had to deal with the bitterness and the anger, but I never quit going to church. I'm going to tell you something. You should make up your mind tonight that I will never stop going to church. I will never stop going to church. I will not always have the answers. I will not always feel like it, but I will never stop going to church. I will get in my car and I will go to the house of the Lord and I will praise the Lord. Yes. You may be seated. I got to move quick. I got to. I'm, I'm almost done. I know. I was driving across. I was driving across northern Louisiana on my way to a revival when I was traveling, evangelizing. Back then I had a little beeper and it beeped and I pulled over in a heavy rainstorm. Stepped into a little, little phone booth and called my sister. And she said, Kenny, I hate to tell you, but Sparky's been found dead in a motel room. Sparky was my younger brother. 
and, and he was a troubled kid. We all tried to help him, but my brother was just, just a mess. He was in every penitentiary in the state of California. I visited him in all of them. He was a, he was a drug user. He was a, he, and, and it started when my mother was killed. He was 14 years old. They left some drugs on the neighbor's deal. The pharmacy did. He went over and got them, took the whole pack and got hooked. And for the next 22 years, he became a drug user. It's ugly what drugs do to people. They found my brother in a motel room of a heroin overdose. And he had been dead for three days, horribly bloated. So next time you say, well, I have a few problems, I don't think you understand. You know, sometimes I pastor people and I don't even say anything. And if these men feel badly at me, I don't, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sincere. I'm sorry. But sometimes they, they're sniveling about their husband didn't give them enough money for groceries. And I don't know if I can live for God because I lost my job. And I think, well, you, you know what? I could show you some real stuff of life. I could show you what it's like to really struggle. But it's not about the struggle because that's their pain what matters is what do you do with it you gotta get into this camp meeting tonight and make up your mind the devil I want you to write a book that every time I had a bad time I took that book on my shoulder you know what I did I went back to church I sang in the choir I worked as an usher I did exactly what God wanted me to do One more and I'm going to quit. Like I said, I don't, I don't talk a lot of public stuff because, you know, it can get on CDs or whatever, but I'll, I'll be careful here. Most of you know, or if you don't know, who cares, but I'm not married. I'm the happiest unmarried guy you know, so leave me alone. Please don't try to f- fix me up with anybody. I don't need Facebook. I need my face in the book. That's what I need. But, uh, but I was married for a long time had a wonderful marriage for 25 years I was married and uh, my wife just had issues went through uh, PMS wouldn't take medicine just just a terrible terrible tragedy fell in love with her psychologist uh, left me sent me divorce papers in the mail I went to see a lawyer and the lawyer said hey son you fixing to be divorced I said well, I don't want to be divorced they said well it don't make any difference state of California you don't have anything to say about it you fixing to be divorced so get used to it. So I paid all the fees, went through all of that stuff. And uh, she, she had told me, she said, you know, I just need space. I just need time. I just don't know about this apostolic way and blah, 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 all that stuff. What I want to bring you to is the day that she called me and told me. It still to this day stands as the worst day of my life. I was preaching in a church in the Midwest and, and I had no idea this was coming, None. Here's a woman that's been faithful, played the piano, directed the choir, helped me start home missions works, just been a great, great Christian lady. And she called me and she said, she said, Ken, I just want to tell you that I'm not going to live for God anymore. I just want to tell you that I've cut my hair. I'm going to wear makeup. I want to go to parties. She just wants this long list of stuff. And I was so stunned. I was so out of it. And I remember just being speechless. And she said, are you there? And I said, yeah, yeah. And I said, can I call you later? I, I didn't know what to say. I was just out of it. And I hung up the phone. It's the only time it's ever happened. I feel like I'm a strong person. I feel like I always have been. I, I'm telling you what, Brother Riley, I laid in the floor and cried for hours. I, I couldn't even speak. It was so hard. It was so, I just, I didn't know what to do. I was just, and, and this is the part I want to tell you as far as this message is concerned. There, I was preaching for a guy. Brother Worthing, come here, help me for just a minute. I was preaching for a guy that was a big guy, much bigger than Brother Worthen, but I'm going to use him because he's my friend. And, and, and he was so kind to me. That preacher was. It was a Sunday afternoon, Easter Sunday. And, and she called me and I was preaching a revival in that church. And I had laid on the floor and cried for hours until my face was swollen. My eyes were swollen. And I had gotten up on my hands and knees after about three or four hours. And I was weaving like a drunk man. And, and he helped me up. And I was standing there just punch drunk with life like oh god my life you know not knowing what to do and he was so kind to me and he said look brother Bo he said you can't go to church like this tonight he said you're there's no way you can preach tonight he said look at you 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 I cannot tell you what happened to me but I'm telling you something come down on big old guy he was, he was about that much taller about that much wider. Uh, 
I hit him. I went, ah! I said, I will go to church tonight. And I will praise the Lord. If the devil wants to know what I'm really made of, I'm going to church tonight. I'm telling you, I went to church. I danced until my legs were wobbly. I praised the Lord because I made up my mind. Devil, I want you to write a book that no matter what you do, I'm going to church. I'm going. I wish somebody would get it in their heart tonight and quit whining about what's happened to you and say, I'm going to church. Make up your mind. I wish the devil would write a book. Be seated and I'll finish. I wish he'd write a book that you lost your job and you went to church anyway. I wish he'd write a book that your children backslid and you never wavered one time. I wish he'd write a book that your spouse said, I don't want to go to church anymore. And you said, don't bother me at all. Get out of my way. I'm headed for the house of God right now. I wish the devil would write a book. I like that old story in Indianapolis. That young lady got saved. Brand new convert. Her husband was so mad. Got into their party in time. She come out of the bedroom with her little Pentecostal hairdo and her dress on and no makeup or jewelry. She was walking down the hall so excited to go to church. He stepped out with a pistol and pulled it up and cocked it back. Said, you ain't going to church tonight. She never even slowed up. She said, if you pull that trigger, I'm going to heaven. And if you don't, I'm going to church. And she walked right on by. I'm telling you, that's the spirit that has to get a hold of you. Write this one down, devil. You will not keep me from the house of God. I will go to church when I feel like it. I will go to church when I don't feel like it because I love him. Lift your hands and praise the Lord. I wish the devil would write a book. Musicians, would you come quickly? Just remain standing. I'm going to tell you a little secret that I have inside. I hope it helps somebody. It's helped me and it's helped my church where I live and pastor. When the devil balls his fist up and he hits you as hard as he can hit you, and you take his hardest hit. I just told you my three hardest hits. My mother's murder, my brother's death, and my divorce. Those are the three hardest hits I've ever had in life. And all three times, I did the same thing. You're going to think I'm nuts. I said, devil, if that's as hard as you can hit, I have got heaven made in the shade. That's what I told him. I told him that every time. I still tell him that. When a good family quits and leaves, I just laugh. I say, devil, if that's as hard as you can hit, this is a piece of cake living for God. When you start whining and crying and feeling sorry for yourself, it gets worse. When you look at the devil and say, if that's as hard as you can hit, I got heaven made in the shade. You know what he does? He leaves you alone. It wasn't too long ago the devil balled up his fist and hit you pretty hard. Your livelihood is traveling and preaching and yet he hits you with blood clots and you couldn't even get on an airplane and fly. You know what he did? He traveled anyway. He just said, devil, if that's as hard as you can hit, I got heaven made in the sand. I don't want to embarrass you, but would you come stand with your husband tonight? This beautiful lady has gone through so much trouble. Stand with her, Brother Ballester. She's had so much pain and trouble in her life. She never complains. She never says anything. I'm going to tell you what she had. But you know what she does? She goes to church anyway. She doesn't ask for sympathy. She's had, I ask her husband, she's had as many as 500 kidney stones in one day. She's had surgeries and trouble. And You know what? She just went on to church anyway. Y'all on to church anyway. On to church anyway. Write that down, devil. Write it down when you hit the balustrades with your best punch they got up said let's go to church let's go to church come on devil write that down 
Write it down when I lost my job, I paid my tithes. Write it down when my kids didn't love God, I served him anyway. Write it down, devil. I take that book. I would wear it like a crown in front of my adversary. Job said, I wish you'd write it with an iron pen and let it in the stone forever. I would put it on my shoulder. I would wear it like a crown to him and say, what about it, big boy? What did you do with my life and how did I respond? If you've ever had a financial difficulty, I want you to come and stand here tonight. If you've ever needed a healing or needed tonight, I want you to come and stand tonight. If you have a need in your life, I want you to come and stand tonight. Whatever it is. And you need to dance on the devil's head. Paul said God will bruise him under your heel. You need to say to him, devil, if that's as hard as you can hit, I've got heaven made in the shade. If that's all you got, big boy, I've got a redeemer. I've got a God walker. I've got a wind holder. I've got a mountain maker. I've got a sea measurer. He weighs the hills in a balance. He comprehends the dust in the cell. I've got a God tonight that can do anything. Lift your foot and put it on his head a little bit. Grind it in the carpet a little bit. God's going to bring me through. And if he doesn't, he's still God. Naked I came. Naked I'm going to leave. Blessed is the name of the Lord. Give me the key of G. Well, I went to the enemy's camp and I took back what it stole from me. Took back what it stole from me. Took back what it stole from me. Went to the enemy's camp and I took back what it stole from me. 